0: Multi-asset investors always love a good Fed week, but last week was particularly nuanced. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin.
1: And I'm Robert Sarenbetz.
0: And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments.
1: In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team what we think matters as we manage investment solutions.
0: That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners.
1: By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors.
0: Welcome, everybody. It's the week of May 18th, 2020.
1: Okay, you must be so psyched for this episode.
0: What do you mean?
1: Well, last week was just full of Fed nerd stuff, including lots of really golden nuggets of information and a lot of talk from Fed chair Jay Powell.
0: That's so true. I love a great Fed week. And you're right. This one was Excellent. And what's really, really interesting about that too is that we had less like bazooka, huge new policy announcements and more of the Fed rolling up its sleeves on the details, even better for Fed nerds.
1: All right. So clearly the devil is in the details here. Can we dig into it? Sure. Go for it. Okay. Thanks. I have two things then. And the first is about policy that's already been announced. Last week, the Fed said that it would start buying bond ETFs, right?
0: Yes, bond ETFs purchases have started with individual bond purchases uh, beginning in air quotes in the near future.
1: Okay, so here's what I want to dig into then, because this was super interesting to me. They started with ETFs rather than individual bonds themselves. And ETFs originally got a lot of attention from investors and Fed talkers when they were announced because they allowed for some purchases of junk or riskier securities which is a real first for the Fed, right?
0: I think it tells us more about the Fed's goals, that they're trying to reduce credit risk in general rather than focusing on individual credits. Another way of saying that is that they're trying to facilitate more normal conditions for issuing debt for those companies who need the cash just to get through the crisis itself and improve credit conditions in general for companies that are a going concern, not necessarily try to protect a given type of company or focus on those individual credits.
1: Got it. But they can still buy an individual company's bonds, right?
0: Yes. Or they'll be able to soon, in air quotes, in the near future. But you have to be eligible and you have to get certified. And it's kind of a pain.
1: I can see how this might feel like a big switch in market mentality. But does the Fed even really need to do purchases at this point? Liquidity has improved a lot since they started or even announced that they would start buying programs. And issuance has really thrived in this environment as companies try to bridge the COVID-created gap in financing. So is it possible that the Fed's already done enough?
0: What you're saying about debt and issuance could be an entire podcast episode. Honestly, it's super interesting. But with respect to the Fed's action, yeah, it's possible that they, that they don't really need to buy very much. It depends on the path of the virus, of course. And if this crisis gets worse, then the Fed would have to engage in more purchases or even announce new types of policy measures. But for now, yeah, I think your point's a good one. The Fed will probably need to purchase a little just to show that it's active and it can use these facilities if conditions deteriorate, but it might not need to do much more. And that's good news, by the way. More purchases doesn't necessarily mean more stimulus. It can also point to more trouble.
1: Okay, so the Fed is helping companies access financing. Uh, as we discussed. And you hinted at a second thing in what you just said, and that's actually what I wanted to talk about, which is future policy. After the Fed opened this bond ETF facility on Tuesday, Chairman Jay Powell gave a speech on Thursday where he said that things were, well, not looking that great. Yeah,
0: that's an appropriate read.
1: But then he said that the Fed wasn't considering negative interest rates as a policy tool at all.
0: Yes. And they've been pretty clear, in fact, super clear that they're not considering negative rates as a policy tool for this cycle. There's several other policies they could engage if things get worse before they need to consider negative rates.
1: But then the markets started pricing in negative rates from April 2021. So what in the world is happening
0: so here's my honest assessment. I think the market isn't necessarily pricing in negative rates it's a little bit technical um but fed fund rate futures are really most useful to us as as policy watchers in the in the 90 day range so for usually the next couple of fed meetings they're they're more useful as a timing indicator. After that, there are other securities or trading tools that are used much more frequently, like euro dollar futures, for example, where foreign banks actually need to lock in US dollar rates. And so they're just used a lot more frequently. And so after that 90-day realm, we usually switch over to euro dollar futures to see what that pricing looks like. And there we're not seeing pricing for negative rates. So um, I don't think that that's necessarily... um, really out there in the market. And so we we should listen to what Chair Powell says. This is not on the table for them in
1: the near future. Okay. So the technical indicators that one would usually watch to forecast where rates are going are not necessarily saying that we're going to have negative rates, but what, what would reality look like? Do you actually think we're going to get negative rates?
0: Okay. I think it's possible. Um, it's certainly more possible than buying equity. I think buying equity is the least likely of the sort of things that markets look to that they get excited about. There's just no legal basis for the Fed um, buying equity. Um, so negative rates are at least possible, but there are there are several challenges, um, legal challenges and concerns. And I think that the Fed sees uh, the bar as being really high for using negative rates. They are um, they, they say frequently that the um, read, the evidence on negative rates is mixed. and I think that's true. It's also true that some of the areas where negative rates have been in in many ways effective, like in Europe, for example, they're looking to solve somewhat of a different policy challenge. Of course, everybody's looking for price stability. But in Europe, banks are a much more central mechanism for corporate financing. And so spurring banks to lend by using negative rates is, in some ways, makes more sense than some of the challenges that we'd be trying to solve from a policy perspective in the US that that make it a less likely tool. And look, if the Fed is saying we're not going to use it in very clear language, I, I think the bar's just really high for that to change.
1: That's a perfect place to start our portfolio pause, a section of the program where we share an investment idea. There's a lot that we could take away from all this Fed stuff, but I think the highest priority question is, has the Fed effectively put a floor on credit risk?
0: You mean, has its willingness to step up in a crisis and buy ETFs to reduce credit risk mean that investors can relax?
1: Yeah, or at the very least, that companies can access financing.
0: I think that the Fed has signaled that it's on call to put out any rekindled fires, but that doesn't mean that savers and investors can be complacent about an environment like this. As a team, we're still positioned very defensively, underweight U.S. equity and credit in our portfolios, but holding everything in cash has costs as well.
1: Right. The opportunity cost of a better return than just cash. But to me, that sounds like you've put investor outcomes in a band. The Fed might have taken worst-case scenarios off the table, but the virus and all its associated economic risk might have taken a big run in the equity market or bonds off the table as well.
0: Well, yeah, when you put it like that, it sounds like a stuck-in-the-mud market. Investors would be best off dollar-cost averaging into the market on a regular cadence, and then any potential tweaks you might want to make should be focused on bringing carry into your portfolio.
1: Well, let's make it a little bit more interesting then.
0: Okay, well, give me a good idea of how you could focus on carry. And by the way, for investors, focusing on carry really means focusing on building income in your portfolio. If markets are going to be range bound and volatile, you can add value without relying on market sentiment or just prices moving up. So anyway, Robert, how could you do it?
1: Well, you could reduce some general equity exposure to focus on carry. Any cash generating security higher quality fixed income or dividend-focused stock like we covered in last week's episode.
0: Well, if you are worried about the volatility part, you could also keep some extra cash on hand to be flexible within this market band that we're hypothesizing about. Maybe add some inflation protection through securities like gold, silver, tips.
1: Not a half bad plan for rethinking your risk allocation.
0: Coming up this week... We've been getting a lot of questions about US-China tensions, and so I expect that they'll continue to be top of mind. That's one of the things I'm watching. We view this dynamic as a function of US politics more than being about China, and as a result, it's here to stay tough on China is a bipartisan issue and a useful tool to use to uh, point to U.S. strength in an election year when the economy has done so badly. So I'd expect this to continue to be on our list for the coming weeks, months.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And in the past, the uh, President Trump Trump's administration has used tariffs as a way to uh, be tough on China. But looking ahead, it might be that more restrictions are pl- placed on the way that businesses and investors can invest and participate in the growth of the the Chinese economy. So that's something that could have a a negative effect on global equities, especially given that China makes up a large portion of the emerging market stock indices. Um, I will personally be continuing to watch the health situation in the COVID-related world. Uh, I expect that we get some results from some uh, vaccine trials in in the next few weeks and and positive results would certainly provide a tailwind to markets.
0: Yeah, I think news on the health front is... a big risk, both on the upside and the downside for markets, right? If if a viable vaccine looks possible sooner than expected, that would, that would be huge um, for society, uh, but also for the markets. And certainly um, if we have negative uh, news on either a new impact of the virus to children, for example, or um, slower health developments, then that of course be bad news. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters.
1: Let us know what matters to you.
0: If you have a question or topic of interest, hit us up on social media.
1: That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. Until then, I'm Robert Sarenbetz.
0: And I'm Lauren Goodwin. Have a great week, everyone. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about mainstay funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances, and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.